0: Sometimes, life can get you down, can't it? Literally. Here on Search for Truth with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, we're trying to make sense of it all and find guidance from God's Word, the Bible. Mental health is a prominent issue these days, and the Samaritans' counsellors are increasingly striving to steer people away from suicide. So where can we find positivity and meaning to life? Our present study takes us into the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament to talk number four in this eight part series called Does Anyone Know Why We're Here? There's an alternative to the negativity and pessimism we find in Ecclesiastes, and it's touched upon in the hymn I've chosen for today, but more of that later. Our study today considers that even religion is futile. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. What we've been seeing in our studies up to this point are two things.
1: First, the doing of something can bring us enjoyment even if, in the long run, the result itself is meaningless. Second, if we dare to allow ourselves the possibility that there could be a higher perspective higher, that is, than the things that are found under heaven, then and only then is there any hope of ultimate meaning and only then is it possible to make sense of life. But these are asides in our Bible professor's research, because although he makes these comments in passing almost as asides, he's really intent on exploring if life can in any way give lasting satisfaction without the need to invoke God. In chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Ecclesiastes, It's as if the professor's frustration builds and builds. Here are some examples. He says this, Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath. And there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? And as we move into chapter 4, there's still no relief from this unrelenting pessimism. He says, So I congratulated the dead who are already dead, more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I have seen that every labour and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbour. This too is vanity and striving after wind. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all his labour. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I labouring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it's a grievous task. After these declarations of futility, The professor turns his attention to explore the world of those who are religiously minded, but who are lacking in sincerity or conviction. Recall how he's previously explored whether pleasure or education and academic study can provide sufficient meaning to help us make sense of life. He also spent time considering time itself. He was thinking about the apparent randomness with which life events are scheduled including the senselessness, as it seems to us, of a young, innocent life coming prematurely to an end. Having failed to find a basis for meaning in such things, he now turns to explore the religious world. But his scepticism shines through here also in terms of exposing the insincerely pious as those who don't keep their promises and commitments. This is what he says in chapter 5. Guard your steps... As you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. When he wrote there, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, it's as if he's saying, don't hurry your heart in God's presence. Perhaps this might translate as, religious observance is also meaningless if there's no awe of God. He continues in verse 8, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, Do not be shocked at the sight, for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners, except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. He seems to be saying there that officialdom is better than anarchy, but sadly corruption is endemic in many cultures. In step with popular cynicism, he says it's all the way up the food chain. Greed, however, receives its just compensation in sleepless nights. Now he continues from verse 13. And he says, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his heart. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labour that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labour. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. First. There was the extreme frustration of possessing everything, everything that is, except the capacity to enjoy it, for that elusive possession of being able to enjoy what you have is a gift from God. But why might we not be able to enjoy what we have? Well, reasons could include business failure, chronic illness, war, evil manipulation of someone higher, insanity. These can also be reasons why we don't possess the capacity to enjoy our work. But now the professor continues in chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honour so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? So the professor says the stillborn go to the same place and are better off than those who have lived twice times one thousand years and fathered a hundred children. With hyperbole like this, he's really emphasising meaninglessness, isn't he? As his following questions demonstrate further, he says, For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. What he says is like the modern expression of those who work in order to eat, and eat in order to work. Even wisdom has its downside. Not content with what we see, we desire for something beyond the material. Beautiful objects may distract us, or even content us for a while, but the experience of countless lives is that material things don't ultimately satisfy us. That's what the Rolling Stones were intending to say when they mangled the grammar and said, I can't find no satisfaction. Author C.S. Lewis put it in a more literary form when he said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We would readily recognise desires we all have, such as to be appreciated, to have happiness, to find fulfilment, but ultimately only a relationship with God offers these in fullest measure. The French philosopher effectively wrote about us all having a God-shaped (laughs) whole.
0: Our hymn today ends with, Oh, the joy of having all in Jesus, what a balm the broken heart to heal. Ne'er a sin so great, but he'll forgive it, nor a sorrow that he does not feel. If I have but Jesus, only Jesus, nothing else in all the world beside, oh, then everything is mine in Jesus, for my needs and more he will provide. Wonderful words. I hope you enjoyed today's study, and if you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian, then do write in. All Brian's talks are available to download online, and here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, Does Anyone Know Why We're Here?, And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. We take a break from Ecclesiastes next week, and Brian brings us a message appropriate to the season of Christmas and New Year. Till then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. See you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.
1: Yeah. Hey. Hey.